Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, joining me today is Galahad Clark, the founder of Vivo Barefoot, the shoe brand that allows wearers the freedom and flexibility to move as if they were indeed barefoot. As the seventh generation of the Clark shoemaking dynasty, Galahad looks to live up to his family legacy, not only in the products that he makes, but in the impact he wants his business to have on the world. Galahad, welcome uh, to Changemakers. I never thought I would get away with starting an interview with Let's Talk Cobblers, but but let's do it this morning because you are the ultimate shoemaker from one of Britain's great shoemaking families. Really great to have you on the show. Your tip for success, I read, was one of my favourite definitions of success is that you fail, but you wake up the next morning with no lack of enthusiasm. Let's start the story there. Tips for success. Yeah, that's embrace failure and uh, try to enjoy that as much as possible. Everything is basically a degree of failure. I think if you know, you've got that mindset, then you can you can never be that disappointed. Yeah, the most important thing is you've got a passion and an enthusiasm for what you're doing and you're getting out of bed wanting to do it every day and mm. wanting to fall a little bit short. <laughs> it, it made me think when I read that, does coming from a dynasty of of people that have made a difference, you know, you're you are one of the one of the Clark family. You've you've sort of described your your biggest inspiration as your great great fan grandfather, William Stevens Clark, company founded by Cyrus and James Clark. When you when you look at that kind of you know, that straight line back, does that, I guess, that history influence how you look at these things like failure and success because it provides perspective? Definitely, no doubt. I mean, William Stevens, who I, I listed as a great source of inspiration to me, he took over Clark's when it was about to go bankrupt in the 1850s or 60s. He was a young guy, probably late 20s, early 30s, and the Quaker community bailed the business out with a proviso that this guy would be put in place to run it. And he ran it for the next like 60 years, sort of, you know, up and up through the First World War. And he really, really pioneered. Well, first of all, amazingly, he released a version of Effort Shoes in the in the late 19th century. And if you saw the kind of Clark's advertising from the late 19th century, it's, it's almost weirdly close to Vivo. We found it out subsequently, not it wasn't a direct sort of copy, but it was. And, and then he also pioneered that intersection between business and social justice. Mm. Uh, obviously created an incredible business as well. So. I mean, I mean, I noted that you you described Clark's as the original social enterprise. I mean, it's a sort of, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I suppose in terms of the connection when you when you are part of a generational business culture. Well, how has that that kind of Clark's heritage, I suppose, influenced you as an entrepreneur that has gone his own way with Vivo Barefoot? Yeah, massively. I mean, I experienced in my lifetime. You know, actually, when I was at Millfield, was when uh, Clark's stopped being run by the family and brought in outside management. And so for the last 30 years, I've basically witnessed this business uh, lose those core values that uh, made it such a special business over many, many years. Mm. Um, so it definitely inspired me to want to sort of, you know, I guess almost subconsciously course correct and do what, you know, what in many ways I think... Clark's was so brilliant at back in the day was where business was there for the good of society 
very low pay differential from the top paid worker to the lowest paid worker. They invested all the profits back into the community, back into innovation to genuinely make the products or service they were providing society better. And then any surplus funds were used to really progress the social issues of the day, everything from the corn laws to the suffragettes to abolition of slavery. They were early environmental campaigners. And, uh, yeah. and I, th- I think you're I think you're right there, actually, Galahad. I mean, you know, when, when you when you think about families that made a difference in that era, I mean, the Clarks will be mentioned routinely alongside Roundtree or Cadbury's or other families that seem to have community deeply etched in what they were about. When you fast forward a business that has been seven generations in the making to 2021, what is it today that you're able to do in a digital era, a hyper-connected era, that frankly previous generations might never have even conceived of, do you think? Well, I mean, first of all, we're, obviously we're, we're very global. You know, that those previous businesses were, were very local, very community-based, and they were sort of small groups of people almost pursuing a higher purpose. And in some ways, because the Quakers were not allowed to go to university, they found a kind of solace in, in amongst themselves, as it were. So they had this sort of spiritual higher purpose, as it were. So, you know, fast forward to the 21st century, in many ways, it's it's, it's the opposite s- set of problems where, you know, everyone's sort of over-educated, over-informed, and, and life's bloody confusing on many, many levels. So having mm. a small community with a spiritual purpose is is pretty tough to achieve I mean, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the quaker heritage because i mean obviously you and i went, went to millfield and and the clark heritage is all around street in somerset of course when when you're 18 your biggest complaint was a lack of pubs but i suppose you know what you're talking about is the kind of you know this this temperate attitude this attitude to to life to balance that may well have in, impacted a commercial culture yeah, my aunt's version of when it all started to go wrong for Clark was when my grandfather was the first generation that was allowed to go to university and he discovered wine, women, song and international ideas and that's where the whole thing started to crumble, basically. Well, uh, well, you've certainly, well, you've certainly found an international idea with, with Vivo Barefoot as a global footwear brand. Land the business for us in a nutshell. For those that don't know anything about it, Introduce introduce the products for us, and and I guess the guiding idea. Yes, so uh, you know, in many ways, I'm now the black sheep because I'm the cobbler going around telling people that shoes are bad for you, and like all the great oxymorons of our day and age, ethical business and eco fashion, barefoot shoes is is one we embrace. And fundamentally, we're we're making shoes the way shoes have always been made, which is a simple covering for feet, allowing the foot to do its natural thing. So we make basically as little shoe as possible. It has as little interference with you and your natural way of moving and also as little interference with the planet as mm. well. We try to make them in as but, but it is almost a bare foot, isn't it? I mean, it's, it, it's minimal covering. I mean, it's hard for it's hard to bring it to life if you haven't seen it in terms of just just how naturally shaped around the foot it actually is. Yeah, it, look, it's not, it's an odd thing that it's not conventional wisdom. The conventional wisdom is actually strapping on big bits of foam and all kinds of funny gizmos and technologies under your feet, scrunching your feet into little pointy shaped things that have nothing to do with the natural shape of your foot. And by by definition, makes you move in a less natural, less less healthy way. Well, so well let's 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 get on to the health benefits in a minute. But I think you have 
literally sort of taken it to the next level. I mean, you completed the New York Marathon barefoot. And Eddie Izzard, when he was when he was running his back-to-back marathons, he favoured quite often Vivo barefoot as, as a way of actually completing those. So it, it seems that there is something here that conventional wisdom seems to have missed. Yeah, look, and to, to a degree, I you know, want to almost dissuade people from associating barefoot with running because to, to be able to run a long way barefoot, is, it takes a bit of time. It's a bit like most people's feet are a bit like you know, having their arm in a cast where all the muscles have atrophied and gone a lot weaker. And there's a lot of research to show that the average person is walking around with feet that are 50% weaker than they naturally should be. So just by walking around in your day-to-day life and using your feet in a natural way, your feet re- regain their natural foot strength. And, and so is that because of the amount of padding, the amount of, you know, sort of, I guess, casing that we've got around our feet? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's the shape. So the shape, not allowing your toes to splay and contract. So if you imagine, you know, when you're walking, if your toes are allowed to splay and contract and your arch is allowed to be dynamic, you use all the muscles in your feet. It's the flexibility, which is obviously connected to that. And then in some ways, most importantly, your, your feet have as many nerve endings as your hands. And the part of your brain that gets information from your feet is the same size as the part of your brain that gets information from your hands. Mm. So, you know, walking around in a concrete world in padded shoes, you cut off all that sort of vital sensory feedback. And in the end, you get it's linked to sort of brain degenerative diseases because you start not only not using your feet, but you start not using big parts of your brain as well. Mm. So your whole body works less well. I um, I listened to an interview that you did with Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, the BBC's doctor in the house. He, he also does a podcast, Feel Better, Live More. And I know you work, work together, but I, I thought there was a fairly convincing case made between how much of modern life we turn off the things that matter, like like our glutes, for example. And actually, it's not just that Vivo Barefoot represents a kind of product, but a rethink, I guess, about our relationship with our with our bodies and actually how much goes on in some, you know, some in, in places like our feet. So just the influence of, of it on everything else. Now, people often say, well, what's the magic in the shoes? They feel so amazing. I can't believe how everything's working better. And of course, there is no magic in the shoes. The point is, you know, magic is you. And, you know, like so many other things, we're just trying to unravel the the, uh, the vagaries of the last 150 years and this sort of technological drive to try and mm. emancipate ourselves from nature effectively. And shoes and vivo is part of that but you know it's obviously happening against big food and big pharma and what we like to call big shoe well let's let's just stick with big shoes because i mean you know you've you've described um in your own words the modern shoe industry as a public health scandal um in terms of the message to those shoemakers i mean are they listening? Are they moving things along? Because, you know, if you look at other big, you know, big industries, you can see attempts to address a number of issues, I guess, from supply chains. When you look at the issue of design and you look at the issue of change, is that change happening fast enough? Absolutely not. And I I would suggest that, you know, in the big shoe companies, there's no question that there's they have full knowledge of the way the foot works and the benefits of barefoot, but they've literally set their stall out in such a 
sort of contradictory way to that, selling technology and patents and all kinds of um, fancy gizmos that, you know, it's a, and obviously the public have bought it and they're some of the sexiest marketing brands the world's ever known, some of the best storytellers, some of the great associate with the great heroes of our day and age in some way, shape or form. And so we've got a, you know, a big, big uh, unraveling to do. But, but I suppose the question is, why do they do it? I mean, you know, when you, you've talked about, you know, leaving kids with weak, deformed feet. I mean, that seems to be the definition of bad business, doesn't it? But the whole world did it, right? The, the processed food industry did it. The, the drugs companies did it. And, and, and the shoe industry is just one of those industries that got blinded and bedazzled by technology, modern technology in the 20th century. Mm. And, and so what, it's just too difficult uh, to unravel it. And, it's, and just, you know, in the end, none of it really, you know, a lot of it did more harm than good. So to, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance now that how can they be so wrong where... They've built these massive businesses and so many people all over the world pay their mortgages from selling those shoes or making those shoes. But, you know, how can it be wrong? Um, mm. But it's, it's definitely not natural, that's for sure. Well, one thing that, that is natural is, of course, the future of the planet. Um, you have spoken a lot about, I guess, Vivo Barefoot playing its part as a purposeful business and the role of generational care of the environment the shoe industry doesn't have the best track record in that area certainly as a, as a i suppose one of the list of sort of sectors that pollutes what is the future in terms of not just calling out that but actually working with companies to affect positive change do you think yeah look the shoe industry is one of the worst polluting industries in in the world it's uh the, the heavy metals used in tang leathers the um all the polymers and fossil fuels used in creating soles and foams and plastics to appear all over shoes Tw over 20 billion pairs of shoes are made a year the sort of sustainable elephant in the room is that most of them end up in landfill so it's a it's a huge environmental disaster on many many levels and, and a lot of solutions are not there and we talk about regeneration now rather than just sustainability and the truth is even vivo barefoot is probably one percent of you know to the first comment about embracing failure of, of of where we need to be to be a genuinely regenerative shoe business and mm. in my opinion so, so what do you what do you do i mean i've read some of the things like algae and all, all this i mean just give us a sense of some of the things you're doing to be an environmentally sound firm well in my opinion there are two ways to make regenerative footwear let's say so one way would be what we call supernatural ultimately biodegradable shoes made on agricultural supply chains that are truly regenerative, sort of not monocropped and not competing for food, but even ideally sort of using even agri-waste, for example, and then completely um, returnable to nature, as it were. And then at the other end of the scale is the polymer world. And, and in a perfect world, those are biopolymers that help clean up the world. So you can now make polymers out of pollution, or you can make polymers out of things like algae which are suffocating the world's waterways due to all the excess nitrogen in farming etc so these are the building blocks to build to, to create the shoes you can clean up the world and with the mess you can use the the, the molecules to, to make products and then you can through chemical recycling you know basically not use any new any virgin materials but only use 
waste and and dirty materials so mm. clean up the world make useful stuff from it stop using virgin materials or be supernatural i mean it, it strikes me that you know you and i've known each other for a few years now and when we started speaking is that you know i felt like you were one of the entrepreneurs that felt like the outlier in terms of people that were genuinely thinking about how do i use business as the agent of change it, it seems now that that the kind of commercial weather is with you. You know, you look at things like Earthshot launched by uh, by the Duke of Cambridge. You, you know, you look at big initiatives being undertaken by business to try and be that change. I mean, do you get a sense that actually now you represent where that commercial future is starting to sort of show the signs of promise in terms of the difference it can make? Look, of course, our aspiration is to is to be a model for how the for how to do business and in our particular case the shoe industry but as we just discussed we've got a long 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 way to go and we're failing miserably on many many levels where most kids still wear really unhealthy shoes most shoes still end up in landfill made of horrible toxic materials so you know look of course it is changing is it changing fast enough of course it's not Um, and the big companies are starting to talk about trying to be better but the problem is that most of them are sort of starting off by doing the wrong thing and then they're doing the wrong things writer rather than philosophically starting at the right place and, mm. and, and doing that better and better. So, well, well and I suppose that, I mean, that also is based on your central assertion that as well as being an environmentally sound business, you've got to create sound products. And you've talked here about, you know, that our sedentary cushion lives are making us and our planet sick. So it's it, it's more than just about, you know, changing the nature of what you put into the product. It's the very nature of how you approach the world in terms of our relationship with it, isn't it? In terms of wh- where you're coming from. That's it. Look, you know, sensory deprivation disorder is a science, is a fancy scientific term for people just being literally disconnected from the world around them. And the more disconnected you feel from it, the more you kind of don't care about it and you'll be less likely to look after it. And so, yeah, we passionately believe that the more people like, you know, we're all connected. And obviously through my lens, we're all connected through two feet on one earth and through mm. our feet you can begin to feel the earth we feel climate change can feel the way nature's worked and you know and then we'll we'll actually we'll connect to each other as well and we'll you know we'll actually start to do something about it so it, i mean it is i mean pardon the pun but it is one one step at a time i mean i i read here that you said that you know our footwear literally brings you closer to nature you can feel the ground as you walk does that feel I mean you're saying that I guess I mean it's not a does I suppose I'm asking you to justify but I suppose your your assertion is that if you can feel it you'll value it if you feel the earth around you if you feel the world around you you have a you have a different relationship with it well I, I suppose evidence that for me Galahad in terms of it sounds great it's wonderful I guess corporate poetry but how does it how does it sort of how does it actually happen in life in terms of my feeling of the world I live in and how I walk on it well I mean look there's lots and lots of science just to show that people that spend time in in nature first of all the benefits to their health are profound and and if you're feeling sick and miserable you know you're not going to have much extra time to do anything as a starting point so the first step is just to 
get everybody, you know, sort of take everybody almost off grid. Like so many people are dependent on drugs or inserts or, you know, in, in the shoe world orthotics. Get everyone off grid, get everyone back to nature, feeling wonderful, feeling healthy. And then you've got time and energy to maybe have a look around and 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 you'll actually enjoy walking up a mountain or walking through a forest rather than, oh, God, it feels bloody awful and I don't want to do it. And then if you do walk through a forest, if you're all wrapped up in big mats and big spongy shoes, you kind of, you know, you might as well almost not be there. You- so we might be kinder in our relationship with it. I mean, how is... How's the pandemic affected this? I mean, I'm, I'm not talking so much from the the commercials. I'm wondering, from almost from a soulful perspective, is it, is it does it does it create the conditions? Some are calling it the reset. Do you think it creates a world where we're looking for more of these kinds of solutions in terms of actually how we reconnect with the world? Do you think? Well, look, there's no question the pandemic has elicited a burr of momentum behind nature and health. And which which are two pretty big themes for, you know, I think for what we need to do to help the world uh, recover. Yeah, no question. You know, we've seen a boom in uh, hiking boots and let's say nature products. So from our little and it is a tiny business in the grand scheme of things, there's no question that people are getting out there more, which is which Mm. is wonderful. Mm. I mean, you know, I'm talking now about the, your lockdown musical suggestions, and we we ask guests every week um, for their for their list. And obviously, you know, the show is called Change Makers. I don't think I've ever had a list of songs where change is not only the metaphor, but literally on the title of pretty much all of your your songs, from Tupac's Changes to Everything Must Change by Nina Simone to I Can Change by John Legend. It, it feels like change, Galahad, means a lot to you. Tell us why. Look, we, we, as a business, we exist to bring people on transformational journeys and take someone from, as you said, a sedentary cushion lifestyle where the body's not working, the back's hurting a bit, the hips are off, they're, you know, they're kind of a bit stuck in the cities or whatever, to just you know a transformational journey to their body, being re-engaged everything working again and loving and enjoying running around in nature feeling healthier and better than ever before but also then experiencing and putting those experiences into whatever trade or service they apply Mm. Uh, so you know we we talk about five six year transformational customer journeys that we'd like to take people on in vivo and we're just at you know, to the very beginning of the conversation. We don't do it very well yet. We've got a long mm. way to go. But, but it feels like you've got a real sense of being in a hurry. You want the, you know, this is not a kind of generational objective. You want this, you want this done now, you know, the kind of fierce urgency of now, isn't it, in terms of your approach to change? I can't remember if I put it in there, but one of the songs was um, Damien Marley, you know, my generation will make the change. And look, if, if we don't make it, then, you know, we, we are the regeneration. You know, we are the ones we've been waiting for. If it doesn't happen now, then, you know, maybe it's too late. And- mm, I love that. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Now, you gave us a quote for life. I'll, I'll just remind you of it. At the end of our exploring, we come back to the beginning and know the place for the very first time. Bring that to life for us in terms of why it means so much to you. This is, this is a T.S. Eliot quote. And, you know, I, uh, and there's no question that in, that's my life mirrors that on many, many levels. Um as we as we've been talking um, from my great grandfather's to where I am now back in Somerset to the type of shoemaking 
we're doing but it's a bigger thing for the whole world in many many ways and actually you know i love the sort of avatar style uh, metaphor where actually through modern science and technology we come to understand and appreciate nature on a deeply profound level so mm. we're not saying let's not be you know technophobes let's let's use science to understand with through science we're understanding the microbiome on a, on a on a deeper and deeper level we still don't really understand it through science we're understanding the importance of gravity in our bones and the way the whole body works etc etc so in the end it you know it takes us back to the most important thing for humans is to have a deep and profound connection to nature mm. realize that they're part of nature not separate from it and it strikes me that in saying that that you know sort of in finishing off this interview that some of those early Clarks, you know, you mentioned William Stevens Clark as your, your great great grandfather, but Cyrus and James. I, I think if we if we had the benefit of them listening in right now, they might recognise quite a lot of what you're saying as being as important then as it is now. Yeah, absolutely. I um, mean, you know, that would have been, they would have been part of the the beginning of the industrial revolution and witnessing all the squirrels babooshing. And yeah, they were they were part of a lot of those social. You know, there's a wonderful thing where William Stevens is. It was his family and his his uh, particularly the women in the family that led a lot of the social and environmental campaigning. And he kind of just knew he had to build a great business to to be able to mm. support all that one those wonderful causes. And um, I guess there's some parallels there as well. Well, Galahad, unfortunately, we're out of time. I mean, I'm just thinking that you know the original Sir Galahad was 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 uh, was born to find the Holy Grail, of course. And of course, I think we've been talking about the the Holy Grail of of the planet, its environment, of people and their physical health. Galahad Clark, thank you very much for joining me on Changemakers. Thank you, Michael. Great to talk to you. And uh, yeah, the, the Holy Grail is like the perfect shoe, perfect feet. And the well planet. said. We'll leave it there. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating? Yeah.